You're listening to Opera Innovations, a podcast brought to you by ABA Technologies. This month on the University Series, we are here with the University of Texas at San Antonio with Dr. Hannah McNall. Without further ado, UTSA. So today we are here talking with Dr. Hannah McNall from the University of Texas at San Antonio. So thank you so much for talking with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I am excited to learn more. So I'm going to pass it right over to you for a general overview of the program. Sure. So here at UTSA or University of Texas at San Antonio, we have a graduate level coursework for students interested in becoming a board certified behavior analyst. Uh, We have three different tracks that we offer given the three different um, requirements in order to become a BCBA, uh, which uh, include the master's degree, the uh, verified course sequence for the coursework, and then of course those 2000 supervised fieldwork hours. And so I'm hoping today we'll kind of break down each of these different tracks, but I'll give a a brief overview. Um, So we have our comprehensive clinical program, which includes all three of those requirements that you need in order to become a BCBA. Uh, So it takes two years uh, with three classes in the fall and the spring. And then throughout those two years, our students are working at fieldwork sites at our educational um, approved sites that we partner with here in the community. And then they're also taking coursework with a couple of electives and uh, with the intention to you know, graduate at the end of those two years and be ready to sit for the BCBA exam. Um, within recent years, we've also heard from our students and from the community that some, some students really like where they're working and the comprehensive program does have extra requirements in regard to practicum, such as different competencies. So working at schools, homes, clinics, and things like that. Um, But some students, they come in and they already have a a great job that they really like, and they want to get all of their fieldwork hours there. And so we have a focused, flexible program, which includes the master's degree and the verified course sequence, but the fieldwork is really up to the students. And then that also opens up the practicum classes to be electives. And so if some of our students have um, interest in other domains of how behavior analysis can be applied, so for instance, organizational behavior management and things like that, um, they can explore those avenues through the different electives. And then last, If you, uh, we have some students that come in and they already have a master's degree, say in special education or a related field, and they have uh, their field work supervision kind of, they have a plan for that, then they can come in and do what we have, uh, the ABA graduate certificate program. And so that is just the seven courses in the verified course sequence. So we really have a variety of options that can be tailored to Uh, meet the needs of our students. And uh, that's something that's formulated over the past couple years, but more often than not, we can find the best path for students that are interested in in working in the field. Well, and it sounds like you have just the right amount of options. (laughs) Not too many, not 
too little. So it's nice to hear that there are different options though for individuals who may just be in those different areas or different parts of their life. And so it's really nice. It is really nice to hear about the flexibility. It's not a one size fits all kind of thing. And so we can jump into some more of the nitty gritty details. Sure. I mean, who are the faculty and what might be some of the research that they're doing? Absolutely. So this program really started out with Dr. Leslie Neely. Um, I actually was a student in the certificate program, uh, you know, a couple years back, I'll say. Um, and I took a class in ABA with Dr. Neely and I pivoted my career from school psychology to ABA. Now they, they work hand in hand, of course, but I did go on to do my PhD in behavior analysis. Um, and then when I finished my PhD, uh, there was a job opening here at UTSA and it has always been my dream to come back and, and live in San Antonio and work at this incredible university. And so then we became a team of two. And so it, it's been Dr. Neely and myself up until um, this year. And then we are also going to be joined with Dr. Marie Kirkpatrick starting the fall of 2021. Um, so we are growing because the interest in the in the program is growing. Then the number of students that are interested in pursuing uh, the path to becoming a BCBA is growing. And so we're listening and we're responding. Uh, we are also hiring right now a, a new assistant professor of practice. And so she will be coming on board here shortly uh, to provide some supervision. Um, so for the main faculty, I'll talk about myself, Dr. Neely and Dr. Kirkpatrick. So uh, my research is in severe challenging behavior for individuals with autism. Uh, because of my background in the schools and working, I used to work with adult populations as well. Um, my research interests really started to look at reinforcement-based interventions rather than using restrictive or obtrusive interventions as, such as extinction. And so a lot of my research looks at different ways that we can reduce challenging behavior and increase communication uh, through means of reinforcement contingencies. Uh, so looking at things such as quality, magnitude, immediacy, and things like that. And then um, Dr. Neely, her research also focuses on the assessment and treatment of problem behavior with ABA, um, but she has a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. And so I'll, I'll just kind of talk a, a little bit about her projects there. Um, so she just completed a project that looked at really, really early intervention for toddlers at risk for autism spectrum disorder. So they were age zero to three years old. And what they found was super cool. Um, they developed an intervention that taught protective skills, uh, such as functional communication, to pre prevent the emergence of problem behavior beyond toddlerhood. And that was a huge hit uh, for our university and the community and also for the field of ABA. Um, she's also really well known for her expertise in telehealth. Um, in telehealth therapy based on the principles of ABA, and she has multiple projects that are ongoing. Uh, we just wrapped up a project that used um, pyramidal training to coach registered behavior technicians in telehealth um, services, especially in light of the pandemic. That was 
really a great application of that science to help a population that was really in need of a continuity of services. And then most recently, uh, we just started, Dr. Neely got awarded a, a, a grant to start an, an artificial intelligence and virtual reality lab. And so uh, it's really cool if you ever get to see this, I wish I could send pictures or something like that, but uh, the lab is an entire room decked out with awesome, um, they look like the Microsoft Connect cameras, but they're motion detecting and they sense um, the behaviors that are ongoing in the room. And we're hoping to do a, a variety of projects with those, but really ultimately leading to um, the precise uh, aspect to ABA therapy and how we can uh, really get uh, use technology for our advantage when thinking about data collection and precursor behaviors and how to sense uh, severe challenging behavior, what are those degrees of intensity um, and things like that. And so we have a really great team working on those projects right now. And then last but not least, Dr. Marie Kirkpatrick. She's the one that's just joining our team and she is awesome. She does a lot of research um, in regard to ABA in the classroom and in school contexts. So she looks at technology-based ABA interventions to support children with autism and developmental disabilities in the schools, and particularly those that are in inclusive classrooms. Um, she's also really interested in efficient and effective training methods for teachers and staff. Uh, so we have a grant project going on right now, Project ABA Teacher, and we've really been leaning on her expertise for how to best prepare uh, teachers to become board certified behavior analysts. So we have a lot of different areas of expertise, but we do collaborate a lot on our projects. Um, and we also have a big um, priority for community engagement. We are always listening and reaching out to parents, caregivers, um, individuals in our community to hear what they need and the things that they're interested in. Um, and so that's something that we always hold really near and dear to our heart. And we really focus our research um, around disseminating to our community. Well, and it's really exciting to hear all of the different ways that your program has brought, you know what I mean, has been able to bring in all of these faculty members, you know, but yeah, they do have different areas of interest, but that doesn't mean you can't collaborate. That doesn't mean that the students can't, you know, get their hands on a little of this, a little of that. And just, I mean, that's the main goal is to, you know, get a wide variety of experience as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited to see what comes out of all of this. Oh, yes, me too. It's so great. We're collecting all this pilot data and I get new ideas every day. I'm like, oh, well, what if we did, you know, crisis intervention in the homes where the parents wear wearables with the, the, um, the video recording technology, and then we can intervene and we can coach them live in the moment, almost like bug and ear coaching, but they're literally wearing the video device so that we can see what's happening from their perspective. 
Uh, and so that's just one of the ideas that probably came into my mind today. Um, but yeah, so a lot of, a lot of areas for, for exploration and really getting into how ABA and the science of ABA can really lean on these new innovative technologies uh, across, you know, whether it be challenging behaviors, social skills in the schools, right? That's something that we can all leverage to our, to our benefit. It's so neat just because this is, you know, this is one of the main reasons why behind this podcast is because you don't know, we don't, everybody doesn't always get to hear about these things that are happening. And so I'm, I'm very happy to be able to help get this out because that is very, very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and to kind of build on that, and I kind of brought it up, but I know you mentioned in, you know, the different options, the practicum option. And so what do some of those practicum opportunities look like? Absolutely. So for our clinical comprehensive students in year one, depending on, you know, if they come in with an RBT, then uh, we'll give them a little bit more flexibility in regard to where they want to work in that first year. If they come in brand new, then we usually place students at our university-based clinic um, at the Autism Treatment Center so that we have, uh, we can provide really intense uh, and hands-on supervision. And then as they go forward, then we start recommending them for outside um, sites that they can work at. Our students typically work about 20 hours a week in year one, and they're working their way through. Uh, we have a really I think it's beautiful, right? The students might say something other, um, but the fieldwork binder, it really hits on all the domains of practice that they're expected to be proficient in as a registered behavior technician. And so their site supervisor will sign off. Yes, you've done a preference assessment. Yes, you've done ABC data. Yes, you've done X, Y, and Z. And as they work their way through this, it's always a really great avenue for conversation in those supervision meetings, as well as really clear documentation. So they have to uh, discuss it. They have to demonstrate, you know, their, their ability to implement these procedures. They have to write or graph or create a permanent product of some sort. And so all these different areas of kind of uh, competence when it comes to these domains of practice. And then, um, at the end of year one, most of our students obtain, if they haven't already, uh, their registered behavior technician. Um, and then in year two is when our students move into practicum, which, I mean, it's got a different label of fieldwork and practicum, but it's essentially the same thing. Um, but when you get into practicum is when we have uh, these various competencies. And so these include things like telehealth, so making sure that you have a couple telehealth cases and there's a associated rubric with that. So, you know, did you contact the parents correctly? Did you follow the confidentiality procedures? Did you mediate any uh, issues there was with the connectivity and things like that? Graphing data um, and maintaining that, that all of the necessary materials from those sessions. Uh, our students do a hospital rotation. We have a, a collaboration with the Children's Hospital of San Antonio. And so throughout their two years, uh, students will always have at least one client at that site. 
and that's 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 our university really supported clinic and then we also have the clinic side of that at the autism treatment center uh, and then they do a school competency where they're working in the schools with the teacher sometimes it's more direct service sometimes it's more of a consultation role it just just depends uh, we have a home competency so our students do that uh, you know, ABA in the home looks very different than ABA in a school. And then last but not least, we have a research competency because ABA in a research context looks very different uh, across these different domains. And then uh, we have an adolescent and adult competency really hitting on the importance of what we teach and what we program and what we work on in early intervention and really seeing the long-term effects of that and making sure that the skills that we teach are gonna generalize and be beneficial long-term. Uh, and sometimes, you know, unfortunately, what happens when they, they weren't, right? And so we like our students to get all of these different experiences so that ultimately by the end of their time in the program and when they graduate and they're ready for their job, they know kind of their area of specialty, what they want to pursue. You know, I have experience in all of these different domains. I really loved working in the home. So now I'm going to go apply to companies that primarily serve the population in the home setting or vice versa. Um, and so we really like to set our students up for success in that realm. And then if they find something that they really like or say they're interested in a PhD program or something like that, then we will really beef up that area of competency. So instead of just doing one research project, uh, then maybe they can take on a project management role, uh, things like that. And so we really try to tailor our students' experiences towards what they're interested in learning about. I honestly think, I was trying to remember while you were describing this, I feel as though this is one of the only programs that I've heard of where they have, and like I said, only the programs that I've talked to, <laughs> not all programs, but that they have this rotation where the students actually go through all of these different settings and get all of these different experiences. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're the only one, but I know that it is somewhat unique uh, rather than our students don't do a full on master's thesis. They do a research project resulting in a final permanent product that they go on to present at state and national conferences and hopefully at the end, you know, a publishable manuscript, uh, but they work in groups, they work in teams to do that. And so if they have four participants, maybe one is the lead implementer, while the other is doing IOA and procedural fidelity, and then they flip. Uh, and so it's, it's really a team-based approach to that so that they get the experience that they need, but it also opens up their availability for these other rotations. So we make sure that they have a case in early intervention, that they have a skill acquisition case, that they have a behavior reduction case, um, really making sure that they do come out, not only just good BCBAs, but excellent scientist practitioners, because a lot of our students, um, when they leave, they know what they wanna work in and they stay at those jobs. They, they're being hired before they even graduate, they're staying there. And then we end up, a lot of the times we collaborate with them. They end up being 
are approved sites for the practicum. And so then they're supervising our students. And it's just a, like I was saying, I know I'm going to hit on this as we go through today uh, several times, but it's that connection with the community is so huge here at UTSA. We are always reaching out. We're always listening. We're always collaborating. And by building capacity within our community through this graduate program, a lot of the times we will continue to work with our students long term. Um, and so, yeah, I think that providing opportunities for all of these different experiences is is unique um, and it, it's appeared to work very, very well for our students. We get a lot of positive responses about this approach. Well, and yeah, like you said, it is unique. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of programs have, you know, the these different opportunities, but to have it so programmed into, you know, their, the entire sequence mm -hmm. is, is the unique part. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, the student going to a different faculty member at a different, who has, you know, different experiences being like, Hey, can I get in on this? It's, Hey, no, this is, this is where you're going. This is what you're doing. And I can really see, I see so many benefits to this. And I just see, oh my gosh, like I was dead set when I was in grad school, you know what I mean? About what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I am doing nothing like that right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, not saying that, you know, that I got bad experiences. I didn't, I got absolutely phenomenal experiences, but yeah, just being able to ha have these different options, but then also, like you said, with the community outreach, and it seems like this is something that would continue to happen in the future, is that if something new pops up that's needed within the community, you know, for future practitioners to be doing that, you, that your team would be adding that in as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and someone said this a research thing too. Yes. I love that there's a research rotation to really oh, yeah. focus is and really have that applied research mm -hmm. as well, because that's so important and you don't always see that out there. Right. This, uh, so what they'll do is in their first semester of their first year, they take research in single case design. I taught it last year and I'm teaching it again this year and it's really getting into data collection and the processes, the processes that underlie really solid research. And then during that class is when we have the faculty um, discuss kind of our ongoing projects. And if, if a student comes in and they want to do something completely novel, or maybe they want to replicate an article, they have the freedom to do that under the supervision um, of a faculty member that is working, you know, closely with them. Uh, and just in regard, something that came up to me when you were saying about the options and you weren't sure, you know, you didn't have a, your experience led to a different uh, path that you decided to pursue. And one of my students said this to me the other day, and I thought it was beautiful. She said, you can't make the right choice if you don't know what your options are. And I was just like, you're so right. You know, we really have to provide our students with all of the options so that they know that they're making the right choice and they're confident in that choice because they have the experiences and they have 
the knowledge of what they're choosing from also makes me think of like a preference assessment, right? <laughs> you can't say that someone loves the iPad compared to everything else. You can say they prefer the iPad compared to the other items that were available. But unless you know all of the things that are available, it's really difficult to make a, a choice. And I mean, that's why this series, this podcast series is so important because, you know, from, like our web, the websites only tell us so much. And right. unless students are reaching out to tens of hundreds of schools to figure this out, it can be really hard to find the schools that have these kinds of experiences and, you know, these kinds of setups. And that is just something that just blows my mind. And I love hearing. And I know I told you this a few days ago when we met that I was trying really hard, you know, I try really hard not to ask questions in those first, in that first meeting, because like, this is the stuff that I love hearing about. And mm -hmm. the one thing that I really look forward to after hearing this is your students taking this, these experiences with them into their futures and then continuing to build more programs and help build more programs that are based off of what they've experienced. So right. I am, I'm, for, I'm foreseeing it now that we're going to see more programs that have something similar to this in the future as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and hats off to Dr. Neely for setting this up. I mean, the work that went into it, I'm sure was just incredible, but the way that we have these community partnerships really allow for this to happen. And I will also say that because they, they're not just approved sites, but we have educational agreements with them. So their supervisors and us, we can share information back and forth. And so if we hear from a site, you know, your students are doing really well in this area, uh, but they need some work on blank, we can say, oh, excellent. Well, we'll talk about that next class, right? And vice versa. So other soft skills that you would miss if you only saw them in the classroom, professionalism, uh, being able to engage in reflective practice, uh, really those critical skills that bring you from just being a BCBA to being an excellent BCBA. Um, and so being able to have those discussions and really share that information back and forth. Again, we're very involved uh, and we're very committed to our, our students when they come into the program because it is a lot. We expect a lot from them, but we also you know, make sure that they are supported and they have uh, the resources and the personnel that they need in order to be successful. And so I find that that's something else that's pretty unique, uh, that we're always collaborating and communicating with these community partners so we can hear, you know, if they're really strong in this area, but they need a little bit more help, maybe in, I don't know, DTT or something like that, right? And we're like, okay, great. We're, we'll do that in our next fieldwork meeting, or we'll do that in our next practicum class. Uh, so we have the flexibility to kind of tailor the content um, in those fieldwork meetings and in those practicum classes to um, bridge the gap between the coursework and then what they're actually expected to do in the field. And so I find that that's really nice. Uh, and gives us some some perspective as to what they're being asked to do out in the field. And I think that that's a perfect segue into, and you've talked about it a little already, but 
some of the student experience, you know, throughout the program with these expectations, not just your, not just the faculties and schools, but also the real world expectations with their practicum placements as well. Um, mm -hmm. What does that look like? What can students expect? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know if it's just COVID or what, but I know more about my students than I ever thought I would. You know, we're always here meeting, making sure that they feel supported, that they're happy in their practicum sites, that they're getting the experiences that they need. And so, of course, I'm not a student now, but I was formerly. So I can kind of speak to that from an area of, you know, experience. And I will say that one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to come back to this university as a professor was because of how supported I felt as a student and how heard I felt as a student. Um, my professors really listened to what I wanted to do. They let me explore my interests. And yes, I was very busy because I was doing both my school psychology hours and my BCBA hours, but it was it was doable because I had that support system behind me. And so, like I was saying, I can't speak, you know, on behalf of the students, um, but we do our very best to make sure that we are touching base with them frequently, whether it be in classes or we meet with them every semester for advising. We do check-ins um, and we always will see them at that university supported clinic at uh, the San Antonio Children's Hospital. Uh, and so we have a lot of contact with our students to make sure that no one is kind of struggling and, and we just don't know about it, right? Um, and otherwise, you know, they also reach out to us with their successes and we like to be a part of that. And so um, I think the student experiences, you know, are could be summarized by just saying there's a lot of expectations and we hold them to very high standards but we also provide the resources in order for them to perform in that capacity. And I think that that's the best way to put it. And I think, like you said yourself, you are a good show of this <laughs> because, and I love hearing when the students do go back and they do start teaching at the, at their programs that they came from, because I mean, that shows that they got something amazing out of it and they wanted to continue that legacy and continue giving that to future students as well. So I absolutely love hearing that. Um, and let's see, so we, okay, we have covered faculty and research, practicum, student experience. How about the application, admission, and if there's an interview process? I know most applications are pretty standard now, with what they expect. So our application process, uh, we are under the Department of Educational Psychology. And so um, a lot of our application processes look the same as they do for the entire graduate school. Um, what the kind of the admission prerequisites are, are to have a bachelor's degree in a related field, such as psychology or um, education. And then you have to have a 3.0 in the last 60 credit hours of your undergraduate degree. Uh, we also require at least two letters of recommendation and a statement of purpose. And so what we do find sometimes is that students apply 
And I was, and I say this because I was in the exact same boat. I had gotten out of undergrad with my degree in psychology. And I said, well, I need to do something else, right? I knew I needed to go on to get a graduate degree. And so we, we sometimes get students that, you know, are saying school psychology, and then they, some know exactly they want to go into a BCBA program. And sometimes students are talking about counseling and things like that. And so we do require that statement of purpose so that we make sure you're applying for the program that you intend to apply for. Uh, and so if that's not the case, if there seems to be a mismatch between the statement of purpose and the program you applied to, we have awesome administrative assistants and associates that will read that and say, hey, are you sure? You know, if you if you meant this one, we'll move you over here. Um, and so a strong statement of purpose, especially if you're coming into the ABA program, I would definitely recommend mentioning that you want to become a board certified behavior analyst. Once we see that in the statement of purpose, we're like, excellent. This person knows exactly what they're talking about. And then we go forward through the process. Um, we have currently, I don't know if this will stick for too long, uh, but we've waived our GRE requirements. So if you have them, that's great. Go ahead and send them. Um, but if not, that's okay. Um, with COVID and with the pandemic, we did move towards a more holistic admissions approach. So looking at grades, looking at those letters, looking at the statement of purpose. And then uh, if we have, you know, if we want some additional information, we may invite you for an interview, um, but it's not something that is required of, of all students. It's kind of, if we just have some additional questions or want to get to know you a little bit, um, because like I mentioned before, we do meet uh, often for advising. And so that's something that um, can be discussed later. But if not, then we'll say, hey, you know, can you come in for a brief interview? And then I did just want to mention the application deadlines. Um, so for the fall, the application deadlines are June 1st. And the spring deadlines are October 1st. Well, I kind of hope that more schools do a more, start doing that more holistic approach to it. You know what I mean? Right. Just in general, mm -hmm. hopefully that sticks. We'll see. Yeah. And I mean, I think something maybe that I should have mentioned in our overview is that we're a Hispanic serving institution and we're located right in the urban city center of San Antonio. And so sometimes we have um, first-generation college students or non-traditional students. Maybe they went to school, they took a break and they want to come back, or maybe they're working full-time, you name it, right? Life goes in so many different ways. Um, and UTSA, I think, again, tying it back to the community, right? We always listen to uh, what our community needs and what uh, would best serve, you know, those that are interested in, in obtaining a graduate level degree. And so on that note, you know, our classes are at 530 to 815 p.m., uh, especially for our ABA students because they're they're working in their practicum and their field work um, experiences during the day. But that was the same for me when I did the school psych program. So I was working full-time during the day. And so, yeah, we, we serve a lot of non-traditional students and we are, uh, 
we really take a lot of pride in serving underrepresented students uh, here in our community. And so that's been something that I think makes us really unique. It's really great to hear just because it's, I, as I've, you know, educated myself more and more and more about what happens with, you know, for like furthering education and the, the obstacles that are in place for so many people. Yeah. It, it has just astounded me mm-hmm. and has pushed, you know, has personally has pushed me to want to help out and do additional things to, you know what I mean? To help make access to education, access to, you know, just all of these different services, not just education, but services even more widely available. So that's really Mm -hmm. awesome to hear. Um, And I know you said that you are dying to get back to San Antonio. So I'm very excited to learn more about the location of San Antonio. I've been to Texas, but never to San Antonio. So what does, what can people expect? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love San Antonio. It's my favorite city I've ever lived. And I have lived outside of Texas. I will say that. Um, But San Antonio is right in the heart of Hill Country. And um, our, the UTSA graduate school is at the downtown campus. And so we're right in the middle of the urban city center. And um, we have a beautiful city here full of really rich culture. Um, Of course, we have wonderful Mexican food. We have awesome community, um, a lot of community parks and amenities to enjoy. Uh, You don't have to spend a dime to have a great day. And I absolutely love that. Uh, We have the Riverwalk is really popular. And one thing that I didn't know is the Riverwalk that you see downtown that's really, you know, busy and a lot of awesome restaurants and stores. And it's, it's really nice, but it is pretty commercialized. I didn't know that the Riverwalk until I moved down here was massive. It goes for miles and miles. I think you can go past where I live close to the Riverwalk. And if you go past that for about 15 miles, you reach the Mission Reach, which has all of these old historic um, missions, Spanish missions uh, that have been preserved for years and years. And so it's a great bike ride. Um, I absolutely love it. And so for me, when I hit the river, if I go right, I can go down to Mission Reach and explore all of those things. If I go left, I'll hit the downtown city uh, with that more uh, popular version of the river walk. And then if you keep going, the Riverwalk even goes down to the museum reach where we have a lot of beautiful museums that are right along the Riverwalk. And so just the history and the culture here is so rich. And I love that, you know, you can have a great day just by walking around and exploring, uh, looking at all the historical markers that are available Uh, And then UTSA is right there in the heart of it. Um, We have a new uh, expansion going on down by the San Pedro Creek, which also connects to the Riverwalk. And so we have a big uh, building of uh, data science going up there. And so the downtown campus is just growing immensely and it is beautiful. 
And I will say when I was a student here, I loved the downtown campus because it was really geared towards graduate students. And so everyone here, um, you know, was pursuing a, a graduate degree. I think there's, there's also the school of uh, architecture, I think is here and some other undergrad programs, but primarily it's for graduate students. And so it's really great to be around like-minded people and you don't have to fight the traffic. And I will say, I don't know if anyone's interested, but the parking here is great. There is, you do not have to fight for parking. I remember I went to my PhD program uh, at another institution in another uh, state. I won't say, no, I'm sure you're going to post my bio. It's fine. But the parking situation was atrocious and I just couldn't believe I was like, I paid so much money for a parking pass and it was terrible. Well, it was because I got spoiled here at UTSA. There were so many parking spots that I could choose from. Uh, and so something small, but it actually made a big difference in, you know, my, my program and whether or not I had to get to school an hour early, just so I could, you know, follow people from the buildings to the parking spots. Um, but anyways, I got off on a little tangent, but <laughs> UTSA is just beautiful and I love the city so much and uh, everybody's so kind. You can walk down the street and just make, you know, new friends, new connections, uh, follow the smells. Uh, when I walk to the children's hospital from campus, because it's very close, it's like maybe half a mile if that, uh, I walk and I go through uh, the market square, which is like an old uh, Mexican market square where they have uh, little stores and um, restaurants and pop-up eateries. And it's just, it's awesome. And then uh, when I walk there in the mornings, it smells like pastries and uh, just delicious food. And then when I leave afterwards, it smells like amazing fajitas. And I'm always, you know, like, oh, should I go have lunch there today? Um, but yeah, you can just walk around the city and explore and follow your senses, I will say. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. And now I'm hungry. <laughs> I, I just had a snack, but oh my goodness, yes, <laughs> I am definitely hungry now. Um, but I will definitely comment on the parking thing as well. Once I got to grad school and you get not everybody gets a GSA. I understand that. But if, at my school, if you had a GSA, you got to park where the faculty parked. Uh huh. And so your parking situation changed and it was life changing. Yes. <laughs> so oh, I know. I completely second the parking thing. So um, parking is a big factor. And absolutely I never would have thought to bring a parking because, <laughs> yeah, it is a big thing. Well, we've covered a lot today. We, uh, we've covered everything, faculty, research, practicum, student experience, application admissions process, the location, the community feel of UTSA, and I mean, what else do you want to make sure that some of these potential students, if anything, that you'd like them to know about the school or the program or the area? I also want to let everyone know about an awesome grant that we just got funded through the Office of Special Education Programs. Uh, it's called Project Early. And the goal of Project Early is to increase the quantity and quality of culturally responsive early childhood specialists and specifically 
board-certified behavior analyst and school psychologist, trained to identify and provide interventions for infants and toddlers at risk or diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Uh, scholars that participate in Project Early will cross-train in applied behavior analysis and school psychology in early childhood subject matter with the goal to prepare scientist practitioners to identify early signs of autism and how to um, administer and provide culturally responsive and developmentally appropriate treatment. Um, scholars that participate in this project will um, have rotations at the Autism Treatment Center and the Children's Hospital of San Antonio as well as conducting um, a variety of competencies in the Sa City of San Antonio Early Head Start program. Um, graduate student scholars will be, uh, that participate in Project Early will be provided with a paid internship at the Autism Treatment Center and other financial incentives that actually total over $25,000. So these monies include uh, tuition stipends, technology stipends, a $500 summer stipend, uh, monies to purchase research materials, and $1,000 going towards their travel budget. Um, upon completion of the program, these graduates will be eligible to sit for qualifying exams necessary for state and national credentials. We will be accepting about five applied behavior analysis scholars and about five school psychology scholars, and we are actually open for uh, applications. We are set to begin admitting our first cohort for students in the fall of 2022. So this will be within the master's program that these students are already applying for, but it's going to provide cross and interdisciplinary training across both of these disciplines, leading to long-standing collaborations across service providers that work with individuals with autism. If you are interested in this opportunity, you can apply or fill out the interest form at www.abautsa.com slash project dash early dot html or if you go to our abautsa.com webpage and you click on education you'll see a link for project early right there if you listen to this and you're like this sounds like a good fit or that you even just might be slightly interested email me or email Dr. Neely or email Dr. Kirkpatrick. We are always meeting with students. Uh, we always make sure to make ourselves very available so that we can answer any and all questions that you have. And I'm going to steal this from Dr. Neely, but there's, she always says there's no limit on questions. And so I feel like that's something that resonates through throughout, you know, your time in the program and, and just in general. Uh, we're always open to have conversations, uh, answer questions, just meet informally. Uh, we really do make ourselves available to our students and our pers prospective students. So um, if you have any questions or you just want to hear more about our program, feel free to reach out to us. And just to make sure everyone knows that um, Dr. McNall's email will be in the podcast description. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and a link to the program will also be there as well. So explore more, ask your questions. Um, from my personal experience, the faculty has been very responsive 
And um, I just want to thank you again for sitting down with me and talking with me and teaching me more about the program and about the area and all of these different experiences that the students get to have. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. I think you're doing a great thing and uh, any help that we can be to students trying to navigate the graduate school process, I think is so valuable. And so thank you to everyone that has listened and thank you so much for your time and for having us on here. It's been, it's been a, a blast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Opera Innovations. And as always, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at operainnovations at abatechnologies.com.